Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So let's talk about Joe Brody, the footballer. Um, hugely successful career on the field. Um, but it would be, I wonder, is it going to be, is posterity going to remember you as the guy who blew kisses to the crowd every time he scored a goal? And that would be hugely unfair. But that was a very transgressive kind of thing to do What is it? at the time. Uh, you know, be showy, flamboyant, take the piss out of opposition maybe a little bit. Um, was that part of, and it's, it's kind of in keeping maybe with the personality that we saw on TV, was, it, was that personality being fully formed uh, well, at this I mean, stage? Not, not that it matters how posterity remembers you. Mm. I mean, it makes no difference to me. But it was a very, I was a very serious Gaelic footballer as a child. I was obsessed with Gaelic football. I, mean, I was, it was like a hypnosis. And I mean, the Dungiven teams. They seemed so huge, done given senior teams. And it was all fighting then as well. Mm. And these huge men, Andy Murphy with his handlebar moustache, ginger, you know, going up fetching high balls. I mean, this was, these were like gods, these people, you know. Seamus Heaney's great line, you know, like some fabulous high catcher coming down without the ball. And you know, Andy Murphy said to me one time, I said to him, Andy, that was an unbelievable high catch. And he says, I was up that high, bro. He says, I saw your aunt turning, saw your aunt turning down the Tiavan Road. <laughs> you would have had to be up about 100 feet for that. But I loved the footballers and everything around that. And the pitch was always full. Something you don't see now. pitch was always full. Everybody up playing. We grips, yeah. practising, doing stuff themselves. And that's why distinctive styles developed. I mean, we had a guy, Eamon Burke, from Dungiven, he won a Hogan Cup with Maharan and all our minor with Derry. He was the world's greatest drop kicker with both feet. Cook, Cook Burke was his nickname. Not cocaine. Hmm. Not cocaine. And whenever I then graduated to Dungiven Seniors when I was 17, which was, I mean, this was... Cook would say, just, just throw out the hand there, bro, who you wanted. This is not a joke. I mean, you couldn't... You asked anybody about him. His, young, his older brother, Anthony, was on the first Derry minor team to win the All-Ireland in 65. And very skillful. They were renowned for their skills. But they worked on them. And he would, from full-back, you know, take a ball, and I would say, here, I was a Flemish, and I just worked my whole way across the high. I was a half-forward at that stage. And he would just, with the right or left foot, just beautiful back-spinning drop kick coming, as though a butler was delivering it to you on a silver platter. Mm. You know, and the joy that, that you took in playing with players like this and the joy that I took in the game, you know, going out onto the field and the ball, 
and big John McLehenny used to do the, he always does the, the pitch. And he would say, what do you think of the pitch today, young brother? I said, John, it's perfect, perfect. <laughs> and when I started playing for Derry and all, I started to become famous as a footballer. That was just like John was just, it was just, ah. Oh. You know, I was talking to Joe there and he said the pitch was great. <laughs> You know, and it's such a reverence for everything around the game and the people who did all the important work around the game and all the volunteers, and, you know, which really is, that's where it is. I mean, it was about our communities and having healthy communities. And that's what's been lost, you know, at the higher level. Obviously, at the, at the at community level, the game is flourishing. You know, and we have got vast numbers of volunteers now. And, I mean, this is, this is the lifeblood of Irish society. It's what, it, it's what stops us being English, for example, or just being nondescript, being, being consumers in any society. So I go back to the kissing. What happened was I had arrived late, slightly late from Trinity for a game, down with the All-Ireland Champions. 92, they came to Celtic, or the end of 91. They were the All-Ireland Champions in 91, and in those days you played the first round of the National League two weeks after the All-Ireland Final. And they came to Celtic Park, and they had beaten us in a replay in the Ulster semi-final the previous year. We had thrown it away the first day. Ross Carr scored an enormous 60-metre free with the last kick of the game to mm -hmm. equalise. We would never have won the All-Ireland, so in hindsight it was a godsend because Donegal wouldn't have won it. Down blazed the trail. And because us and Donegal could beat down, that showed us. You know, this is about confidence and character and nerve. It's not about anything else because we've got the qualities that are required. You know, this is about character. Mm. And so, and they came, and because I had arrived slightly late, Eamon Coleman wasn't there, the manager, and Harry Gribbon and me maybe didn't get on the best. Harry would have thought I was mischievous and larger than life and all those things that some people just, you know, uh, Harry wasn't like that, and so he would have been uncertain of me, and, you know, you know this guy's sort of, you know, you get that. Don't hold anything against the man. Anyway, he didn't start me. And so I was brought on with about 10 minutes to go. I still remember it. <laughs> the first ball came in, you know, I got a point. That it's, uh, and then Toll gave a sort of a massive drop kick. It was 60 metres down the pitch, over the top. Brenton McKernan was marking me from down. And he, he went for it. And you could see when I gave him a wee, you know, just a wee, just the tiniest wee elbow just to keep him. And the ball just skimmed over his fingers into my hand. It was coming through and it just lobbed the downkeeper into the net. Celtic Park was packed, you know, in those days. Mm. You get like seven, eight thousand people to the league game. And as soon as it happened, I just, I, I could see the crowd. And I, went run, I just went running past Harry Gribbon and I, like this here to <laughs> Harry, you know, as, you know, as I was coming down the pitch. I, the crowd went mental. They went absolutely mental. So I, I just kept going and went to the bottom of the pitch. And eventually, Kieran McGeever came over and he grabbed me and he said, get back to your condition. <laughs> you know, but their heads went down. Yeah. It won the game. And then it became a thing. Interestingly, Derry never lost a game where I scored a goal. Never once. It, 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 you could see the heads going down. I mean, Fergal Logan told me once when he was the captain of the Tron team in the mid-90s. And Tron a very good team. They should have won All-Ireland in 95. Very bad refereeing decision deprived them. And at that stage, we thought God was never going to win an All-Ireland Canavan, you see. But... Fergal Logan said, about 96, 97, that the only thing they talked about before they played us in the Ulster semi-final, I think it was 90... I can't remember what year it was. Make sure that 
Asher doesn't get a goal. No matter what else happens, he's not to get a goal. And maybe just after half time, I get a goal. You see, big Finbar McConnell, and I've been trash talking Finbar, you know. I said, Finbar, oh my God, you must be about six foot eight, which he is, maybe six, 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 seven. I said, look at you. How, gee, you're, a, you're a freak. I said, I'm like, I'm going to lob you. I got a lot. I was saying the same. I got a lob you. Yeah. He, 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 he says, oh, fuck off. He says, you know. And I was getting all this here, and I said, I've got a lob you. Oh my God, this is going to be such fun. This is on live telly. Oh. And I, I was doing this sort of looking over, and you know, all this here. And you, it was completely unsettling him, you see. And anyway, but I can't remember, it was this early in the second half. Dermot Dugan gave me a beautiful pass over my left shoulder here. And I came in there like that. And I just said, and you could see him standing up. He stood up. He's going to love me. He's going to love me. And he stood up and I just slipped it on the ground, just passed it into the net beneath him. And he went down too late and he was lying on the ground. I sort of, I said, you stupid bastard. I said, how did you think I was going to love you? <laughs> As I was walking away, you know, tossing it, it was mayhem. And again, you know, I went to the throne crowd because it was all thrown. You could see them, so I could see them. They would, they would have killed me. Mm. You know, if they hadn't been separated by a fence, they would have killed me. I remember I went home and our brunch just said to me, my brother, who loathed Tyrone with the passion, he said to me, oh, it's the greatest day of my life. <laughs> you know, and everybody was a... It, yeah. it became a thing. It became yeah. a thing. And, uh, and it didn't... Well, I, I don't, it didn't distract me from football. It was psychological. It was psychological. But it, it, yeah. it, feel, it felt at the time... It like, was an awful chuckle, the crowd loved Oh, it, I mean, it know? was brilliant. It, but it, it, it sort of... I mean, that was the, the personality that you sort of, you know, inhabited then in your TV career, mischievous. Um, but as you say, serious. I mean, you were serious. There, wasn't, there was no question your credentials. You don't need to pour you, sugar on it. You know, no, you say it, say it. no, I mean, it was... I was, I mean, I was a, a Donegal person. I didn't particularly yeah, like you yeah. either. But you couldn't question your football, but you had this other side... Yeah. Um, you talk about characters there. It's amazing the number of Donegal people say to me, for example, we will never forgive you for that last minute of the yeah. 98 yeah. Ulster yeah. final. You know, and it was the first time Jeffrey McGonagall ever passed the ball. <laughs> I was saying, Jeffrey doesn't like it. And uh, he gave it. And it was a good example of, I had done it so often in training and I'd worked so religiously on scoring goals and, the, and the, the techniques involved and the discipline of scoring goals. And a big thing about scoring goals is this. A massive thing is not to let what's happening emotionally make you panic or rush. And you have to work unbelievably hard on that. And the way to do that is to do a lot of work in a confined space in the square. You know, so I used to work with our keeper, with Kieran McKeever, working in there, holding the man off down. Don't panic, don't kick it too soon. Pause, dummy, all that sort of thing, you know. And actually... It would have been brilliant if we had had that sort of organised work in those days. You know, I do it with my underage teams now, and it's massively successful because they soak it up so quickly. You know, dummy pause, we pass the imaginary player, dummy. You know, we, we practice three or four different dummies, for example, mm. and work on that idea of space. But the big thing is to hold your nerve whenever it's very emotional. So Donegal were winning that game. There was about 30 seconds left. Ball comes in. I could easily have popped it over the bar. But because I'd worked on this so often, I just could see it. There's John Zodardi coming, just a wee dummy to the left. He slides on across because he thinks I'm going there. Pull it inside. Now the keeper's not sure. Slight wee pause. Just the slightest wee pause. And now the keeper's gone. Mm. You've given yourself the time. It's very slippy underfoot. Keeper's gone because he's, he's made his decision. It's too late. Now you just have to pass it into the net. You know. And then that was obviously the 
the kisses and all of that, and because and, uh, that really was the, it was the end of the game. The game was over, you know. Colin Rourke said that night. He, he said, <laughs> "It's funny how you remember these things." He said, "Well, he said, I know I know that Joe Bradley scored one two, but he didn't do anything else," <laughs> which I thought was a great compliment because Barry McGowan was marking me, who was, I mean, you'll remember Barry, the greatest. Footballing defender that nobody remembers. What a Gaelic footballer he was. And a nightmare. A brilliant athlete. A winner. Such character. A fabulous Gaelic footballer. He played midfield for his club and was absolutely dominant with them. You know, if they, they, they were beaten in an Ulster club final and they should have won it. They beat us in an Ulster club semi-final and he lorded it at midfield. But he was a nightmare to play against, but he got caught that day. Because mm. he liked to go forward. We went forward, we made possession, and he got caught. All right, stop rubbing it in now. I did the old nod to him. Barry, 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 Barry. Uh, is it true that you had your nose broken twice? That is true. And, and why am I not surprised? <laughs> After scoring goals. Yeah. Dara Canadza said to me, after an interprovincial match one day, I got my nose broken by a fellow from Clare. Jesus, I mean, he, he knocked me out standing up. I was standing up, and it was like, did you ever, did you ever have, have, a, have a cannabis cake in Amsterdam? Did you ever have a space cake in Amsterdam? I had half a cannabis cake in Amsterdam one time. And it was so weird. It was, after about a half an hour, you could see yourself here. You'd stepped out of your body. You were there. Everything was in slow motion. It felt as if there was a... You know, you, you were functioning normally, but it felt as if there was a gap between you and the world. Anyway, he hit me. Right? Canavan gave me this brilliant pass. You know, it was like... Kind of God, really. I call him mm. God for a reason. And what a player, like, and what a man. So he gets the ball anyway. He had said to me, Joey he says, You just make your normal runs. He says, I'll find you, I'll find you, I'll find you. You know, he said, well, Just, you know, go on. He says, I'll find you. So anyway, I just came through the middle. The ball had come to Canavan out there. Seamus Moynihan was marking him. Canavan was laying out. I just kept going through the middle. Canavan won it. You know, he does the rollover thing. And then he just over his shoulder with the end step of his right foot, just perfectly into me there. Mm. Boom. And I, and he, he hit me, <laughs> and I was knocked out standing up. I mean, when I said I said it was just like it was like the space kick. I could see stars out here, and like genuinely, I could see stars. And I was just like in a haze. And in those days, there's no blood sub rule or anything. And I, I, I remember at half time, the, the jersey was drenched, suffused with blood. And you can hear me talking quite nasally because that's that was the damage that was done. And Dara Canadia says to me afterwards, I, I knew Dara, we were friendly, and we were friendly to this day, great fella. Dara says to me, he says, oh, he says, I, I considered warning you about that man. He says, no, he'd, be, he'd have a reputation for being very dangerous. And these polite schizophrenics who you encounter on the field, you know, we had some of them playing for Derry at the time. And we would have known who they were. You know, you know the boys to avoid, generally speaking. But he was from Clare, I didn't know him. And nobody yeah. warned. Nobody warned me. <laughs> he hit me so hard. Oh. <laughs> and um, uh, and uh, that was that was the end of the trash talking. That, yeah. that was, <laughs> the, that that was the end of the anyway. trash talking. And I met him a couple of years ago. Nicest filly I'd ever met. I went to yeah. a bar in Dunbeg, and the place exploded. <laughs> and he says, "This is the man, Broly, that put you in your place." <laughs> And then you know what he said to me? He says, Oh, he says, 
I, I went into the mustard changing room afterwards because the jersey was, my jersey was soaked in blood. And I brought him and I says, here, and fired it. I says, you may take that anyway. He says, I'm not watching that. And he, he just, he took his jersey off and gave it to me then. So I had this jersey, this number four mustard jersey. So anyway, a couple of years ago, I'm in Dunbeg <laughs> uh, uh, and, and uh, in having a pint and the place goes wild. He, he's there. We drink a few pints together. And he said to me, Jesus, he says, you wouldn't do me a favour. He says, do you know, that was the only time I played for Munster. You wouldn't still have that jersey, would you? <laughs> so, I said, so I rang me young I says, search the house there and see if you can find a number four Munster jersey. And he sent me a picture. There it was. So I brought it to the post office, paid the postage and package <laughs> and sent it to him. He didn't, even, he didn't even send me a message to say, thanks, I got that. <laughs> that was the postscript to the story. Jesus, he hit me so hard. So, you know, and, and yeah. you, 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 you get these boys. Like, we had Kieran McEver in the Derry team, the greatest cornerback to ever play the game, unplayable. Peter Canavan said it was my misfortune to be born in the same era as Kieran McEver. I mean, Kieran picked him up in the Ulster Club final in 97 when we, Dungiven won the Ulster Club title, and McEver never gave him a kick. Dangerous person, you know, in the sense that utterly competitive. As far as you can go, he can go farther. You know, I was a very competitive person, but there's a point where I say, that's enough. I, I can't go any further than this. With McKeever, there's no end to him. You know, we had Sean Marty Lockhart and Derry, exactly the same. There's no end to it. it. It doesn't end. His first night when he was introduced to the Derry team, me and him had a fist fight. He was only about 18. The guy was a veteran, you know, all-star, you know, just sort of, mm. you know. No, no, you'll not treat me like that, you know. You'll not treat me like that. And. You know, there are players like that, and you do require them. I mean, the dubs have a spine of players like that. Boys who, whatever is required, mm. you know, they will go beyond what you'll be, be prepared to do. T.S. McCarthy, Philly McMahon. You know, the, Dublin have many of them. Kieran Kilkenny, Conal Callahan. You know, they will continue to compete beyond normal human limits. Because in the end, as Ferguson said, the game is about character. That's what it's about. Winning big on the biggest stage in Croke Park, it's about character. Tell me about Eamon Coleman. You talk about character. Well, um, Col like Coleman... <laughs> and how does he bring it all together? Coleman was basically a football fan. He loved the lads. He loved footballers. He was fascinated by football. He was reared with the McGuckins in Ballandary, basically. And he... You know, everybody always loved Eamon because he always retained that boyishness. He was like a small boy to the end of his life. And you couldn't, he's just so completely likeable. And had a good understanding of boys and their characters. I mean, he understood, for example, I think I'm right about this story because there's no way I could be misremembering it. He <laughs> arrived whenever Henry Downey was a young school teacher. Henry's teacher at the convent in Marafelt. And the next thing, Eamon Coleman arrives and says, I would just like to sit in on one of your classes. I was like, go on ahead, Eamon, you know. Like Henry was the captain of Lavi, they'd won the All-Ireland Club, this tiny village, you know, Henry Downey, Versingetorix, like, or Asterix, <laughs> you know, the Gallic village yeah. in Rome. Like, they brought war, they brought war. And Henry was, 
you know, black-hearted also. Like Henry was like Roy Keane, you know, whatever was required, you know, and never spared himself, completely modest, no interest in whether he, you know, no interest in taking credit, zero interest in taking credit. And uh, so I've amused Henry as Eamon sits at the back. This guy who had no academic interest, who was a labouring man, he just wanted to see how Henry handled this class because he was considering making him the captain of the team. Mm. And he made him the captain of the team. And uh, Good decision. And, and, yeah, he understood that. He understood. But Henry was that sort of person that you knew very quickly. Like, a lot of managers might have picked somebody like Anthony Toll because Anthony looked like a Greek god. He was six foot six. I mean, he's a stupendous athlete, two-footed. I mean, he, he was... He was like a Greek statue. Like, I mean, he was incredible and he had all the skills. And many managers would have said, well, Anthony's the captain, but it would have been the wrong choice because Henry was the leader of the group. And Eamon intuitively understood that and it made an enormous difference because he became the, the heart of the group. He drove the group on. And in 93, having been, he was so disgusted with how we performed against Donegal in the 92 final, including himself. You know, which was a game where we were tame, I thought. You know, Donegal came expecting to lose that final, and yet they they won it maybe with two or three points to spare. And so the second that that happened, Henry was in overdrive. You know, and it was ferocious. The training was ferocious. There was no place for anything except absolute commitment to the cause. And it was war. There were many fist fights, you know, there were there was a lot of heavy hitting. Mm. No one was spared. I mean, two or three young fellas who'd been brought into the squad left. It, was, it became a merciless place. And that's what happened then. And Downey was at the heart of it all, driving it on, driving it on, driving it on. Dispel airy fairy notions about what championship is. Championship is war, plain and simple. There are only winners and losers, there's nothing in between. Mm. You know, how far are you prepared to go? What are you prepared to do? And that's what it was that year. I mean, there was never any sense. I mean, Dublin were beating us by five or six points at halftime in the semi-final. Mm. It wasn't going to happen. Cork got a sucker punch goal at the start of each half in the final. It wasn't going to happen. I suppose the issue from our perspective was once we had done it then, that was it. It was like, phew, there we are. It's done. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You've said before that 
that win, winning the All-Ireland was an anti-climax for you. This moment of crowning glory for any footballer, any GA player, it's the ultimate, it's the, the Valhalla, like, you, you felt... Yeah, but there is no Valhalla. Yeah. It's, it, like, the it's, it's like the suicide bomber yeah. being promised, you know, that he's going to have 50 virgins and a life of sort of decadence and luxury yeah. in this other place. No, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, I had... Some counties, maybe. But. I had... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not in Donegal. <laughs> of course not. And, and, uh, and uh, I had built it up, I suppose, in my mind to the extent where this was going to be some, like you say, mm. this was going to be the promised land. We'll be the All-Ireland champions and this will just transform everything. And there I am in the showers afterwards. By the time I got in, the showers were cold. Fergal McCusk was there and I said to him, is this it? Mm. McCusker cheered me up with the immortal line, think of all the women we'll get, <laughs> you know, and, uh, which wasn't true for me. But um, very quickly... Life goes on. What do you do? Like, you get drunk a few times, you have a bit of fun, you're, you're back at work again already. That's it. That doesn't sustain you. It's like, well, I've gotten all out of metal. Who cares? The, the, I don't even know where it is. Who the, cares? The things that you, t you talked about earlier about your, your, your background and, and your childhood, was that one of the things that you thought, if I get that medal, if I get that no, all out No, that wouldn't have occurred to me then, no. Yeah. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I had an idyllic childhood. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You say, like, everything's great. You know, look at this. I'm a, I'm a Trinity. I'm a, I'm a barrister. Look at the success I'm having on and off the field. This is a dream. Life's a dream for me, and it's easy. But there was look no sense it. of fulfilment no. on the final. No, total anticlimax. I was yeah. like, oh, my God. I was back in the training pits two days later thinking, I was just, you know, and what was the point of all that? It's well, over. It's over already. And, of course, that's, a, that's the reality yeah. of it. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. What you're doing is... And if you had people to explain this to you at the time, to understand it, you know, life is a constant test of who you are and your character. That's what it is. And if you've got the ability to do something like that, then do it and do it again and do it again and do it again. That's what we forgot. Dubs get it. Mm. See, boys like Pat Gilroy there. You know, if you can't sacrifice, if you're not prepared to sacrifice yourself for a cause bigger than yourself, find another pastime. This is not about celebrations or anything like that. This is about doing something important, serious, with your lives. Channeling it into something that's important. You know, where you're going to be able to do things like show loyalty to each other. You know, show depths of character when you shouldn't keep going. Keep going. You know, doing things that are extraordinary, you know, only in the sense that You've got a chance to do this now. You know, out of a humdrum life, you can come and do this with this group. You know, not sure what it means. Nobody really cares about winning all Ireland's, winning medals. Who really cares? What have they become? Like browning newspaper on a wall, and you've got your some people have medal cabinets. If you were in my house, you wouldn't know I ever played football. You just wouldn't know it. Mm. You know, it's about that moment in time whenever you dedicate yourself to a cause. Why? There's something noble, there's something honest, there's, there's something extraordinary about that, but not for why people think it is. You talk about that era in, in football, and I don't doubt it was like that in terms, it's almost like you are talking about a, you know, a Norse saga, you know, there's massive warriors with 
you know, moustache, <laughs> facial hair going everywhere. Really real, fighting, like. real hammer, you know, yeah, blood being spilt and it's uh, epic and it's, you know, and I'm sure it's romantic to a degree um, in, in your memory. And then a lot of your work in the last decade or so, maybe more, talking about modern football has been of a, has it been of a loss of a sense of that? I don't know what the, you know, that's, I mean, nobility of the, of the past or something no, that no, you, fe I mean, you, you no. feel something has been lost, I think. Well, I mean, something has been lost, spontaneity. And I mean, teams encourage the skills. So you look at Corifin, for example, where skill is paramount, skill is paramount, skill is paramount. And they, and they encourage that and they have the confidence and courage to allow people to, 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 to express themselves on the pitch. You see, particularly in Ulster, up on the last few years, teams unsure how to play. Look at Derry in the Ulster Championship this year. Two minutes to go and they wouldn't take a shot. Two minutes to go, a point behind. They've got possession. The ref's given them the opportunity. They won't take a shot. Look at the sideline. Mm. They're being controlled. You know, that's what's been lost. I don't at all bemoan the fact that violence has gone out of the game because whenever I started, there was far too much violence in the game. Now, I know we laugh about it and you tell funny stories yeah. about it. But, you know... the. The, 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 the most attractive entertaining era for Gaelic football was probably the 90s. You know, the, the revival in Ulster, the tr electrifying down team that won two All-Irelands. You know, then Meath, Kerry, then into the early noughties, you've got brilliant Galway team, superb Kerry team, then the great Tyrone team came along. You know, and you had probably through the 90s and noughties until 2011, the greatest era in Gaelic football until the Donegal man destroyed <laughs> everything. Now, Jimmy did make a hugely... I mean, it was brilliant what he did. It was the greatest heist of all time. It was, yeah. a, it was ingenious. It, it, it was... It was. But do you hold probably, him responsible for oh, many yeah, of Gaelic yeah. football's ills? Yeah, because then what happened was, you know, everybody started to say, well, look, well, zonally... Do you still hold the view um, that you, you famously described the modern GA player as uh, in, indentured servants? Or indentured slaves. Well, again, again, was, we would that their lives compared to the fuller lives that players led in your era were, you know, paled in comparison. They were completely overcommitted to the. Yeah, well, the players the themselves would say that. Players themselves would say that. You know, I've heard many, many players saying that. What has happened is one, one, very positive effect of the pandemic has been shorter season, knockout. Boys not having to train for so long. And you can see that in the spontaneity of the games. Ulster has been fantastic this year. Brilliant last year. Cavan comes through and win an Ulster Championship. Who would have believed it? And shorter seasons now at the moment. And, it, and it's a model. But of course what will happen is we are going to go back to, I would imagine we're going to go back to the indentured slavery again. Where, And you see it in the way teams play. They don't go out and play with the same passion and vigour any longer. Like, like, you can see that it's become a chore. Hmm. They're playing county football, a lot of the boys, and they're not exactly sure why they're still doing it. You know, you get some perks from the GPA, you get your accountancy bills paid, you get, you know, you get... It sounds like you, you don't have a... You don't it's hold that good hopes for, for where it's going. Well, you don't think it's in a good the place. The GA have allowed it to drift to this situation where it's very elitist, you know, um, They've not made any rules around sweepers. I mean, it would have been easy to get rid of the sweeper, which is the main ill of the game itself. I mean, players are, you know, getting a lot of time on the field now. They're very skilled. At underage level now, the skill levels are off the charts. I mean, you watch any of the underage games that are being shown mm. now. They're terrific. And so the game's got a lot of potential. 
We need to get the structures right. I believe the two options that are before Congress are the wrong options. Um, and we need to think very carefully about affording... The big thing that's been missing in the GA is respect. Respect for players, respect for county players' lives, respect for smaller communities like Leitrim and Carlow and Antrim, etc., etc. You know, creating a system that's, that's for all that we can all participate in and enjoy instead of just allowing this elitist lurch that's been going on over the last 10 years. I mean, there's enough employees, there's enough full-time people now in the GAA to sit down and, 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 and as a job of work, you know, make sure that we remain the most vibrant sort of amateur sporting organisation in the world, community organisation more than sporting organisation, I suppose. Do you think the, the GAA leadership in Crow Park were relieved when you were removed from RTE? <laughs> There were all sorts of conspiracy theories, you know. I bet you they've said that it'll that it'll make a difference. You've been a thorn in their it'll side. Be an up, it'll be a, it'll be an issue in relation to their upcoming negotiations for TV rights, etc. I, I don't know. Look, I mean, uh, I am a, a servant of the GA and always have been. You know, any job that I'm asked to do in the club, I do it. Any favour that I'm asked to do by any GA person, I do it, without question. Um, I believe it's the most positive thing in my life and the, it is the glue of Irish society. It's what pre prevents us from being a mindless consumer society. You know, it, 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 it creates the essential building block of any successful society of getting to know each other. Mm. You know, I know you, you know me. That's the start of society, companionship, friendship. Whether you like the people or not then, I mean, in, in, in the GAA, you know, we have a world of people you can go to Australia, you need a job. My son is going to America, he needs digs. No problem, we'll pick him up at the airport so he can play a bit of football. You know, we have this marvellous community where people are prepared to help each other out. And uh, you, wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to become England. And without the GA, that's what would happen. You, know, you could become England very quickly or you could become America very quickly. You know, it's the one bulwark that we have. And one of the great delights is the vast amount of work that's been done now at grassroots level where every kid has the opportunity to play the game. The women have transformed the GAA. I mean, ladies football is so vibrant now. They've got their structures right, unlike us. Mm. They have a celebration of the games where teams aren't being humiliated by, by being forced into mismatches that are, that are, that are cringeworthy. You know, and their increasing involvement has made an enormous difference to the GAA community and has been a, a hugely positive impact on Irish society generally. You know, so that every club that you're at now, it's equal participation, both sexes and none. You know, not forgetting LGBT, et cetera, et cetera. There's another issue that we need to address. You know, because I mean, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And not that anybody should have to come out if they don't want to. We should all be colorblind. We should all be blind when it comes to people's sex lesbian, gay, transgender, it doesn't make any difference. You know, that's people's own business. You know, but I think that the GA has a stronger role to play in relation to the promotion of that. There have been a couple of very high-profiled, you know, short campaigns by the GA, but we need to do a lot more mm. to, to, to make sure that, that people are entirely happy in their own skin, that they can participate in the GA regardless of their sexuality. 
You know, it's a really, really important thing, and nothing. I mean, I'll give you a good example. One of the one of the reasons that I was able to spread the mes message of organ donation so electrifyingly quickly through the country was because I'm a GA man. Mm. So you don't know me, but you know me. I mean, I can go to a wee club in Donegal. I might not know anybody there, but they know me, and I know them. You know, we're all made of the same stuff, and the GA has that ability to communicate because if something important is said you know, by a GA president or by David Goff or whoever it might be. It goes around the GA community like wildfire because we're as thick as thieves, you know. And the GA has a really important role in, in, in relation to social matters like that. And it's a matter of concern that we've had one hurler come out, one Camogue has come out, and that's it. That's it, you know. So we need to, we need to work harder in that regard because First and foremost, we are a building block in society. Mm. I have a few sort of quick fire ones to finish off with then, uh, as quick fire as we can be. Um, you have had what we've talked about in this conversation quite a, a decade or so, 10 years or, or less, um, on a personal level and a, you know, to use that terrible phrase from reality TV, a journey uh, as such. A journey. Um, professionally then from the position that you had in, in, in RTE and all the buzz and excitement and, and that sort of, you know, what do you think of it now? What do you think of us now, Joe Brody uh, thing f to, to where you are now? And yeah. now you have a role communicating on a lot of issues and, and writing about a, a lot of issues. We've talked about Northern Ireland, we've talked about organ donation, etc., etc. Um, what what are your ambitions now? Where, what what motivates you now for this next phase of your life after, after the, the transformations that you've had or the, the journey well, I, that you've had? I, 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 have, I have a very contented life now and I, uh, you know, I've keep the insecurities and fears at bay by just, and I'm very, very good at this, just having the day. So I get up in the morning, I always go into the river every morning, the river or the lake, cold water, 30 minutes. And it's elemental, it cleans you out. And, um, and then generally we do that in the evening as well. And, uh, and uh, I have a, a very stimulating life anyway, because it's a life of the mind. I write a lot, you know, so I, I, I have a free hand with the Sunday Independent. Mm -hmm. You know, Alan English, the new editor there, gets it. And John Green, who's my sports editor, was a Trinity man as well. And they're very relaxed. So it's a real pleasure to me to be able to write if I, if I want to in the news section, in the sports section. You know. So I've got that going on in my head all the time. And then the court work, I've got that going on. You know, I, I've, been asked, I've been asked to appear for several of the families in the Stardust inquest, you know, which was a, 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 a horrific tragedy that was never resolved and a bit like Bloody Sunday or Hillsborough until until it's properly, publicly and transparently, you know, seen out in a court, the relatives are never gonna have peace. You know, so I'm in that so a part of my mind is occupied by that. And then I have trials coming up, so you're and obviously my under twenties, mm. which which it, it's amazing the passion that that evokes amazing and you think you know the question you were asking earlier about the all Ireland, you know well like 
we, we won two under 16 championships in Antrim and we played then in the Paul McGuire tournament, the Ulster under 16 tournament and we had great experiences. And you know, the amount of planning that went into those and then our minor championships over the last three years, we lost three minors in a row. You know, one of the boys started to nickname me James Horan. <laughs> anything but that, anything but that. And uh, you think to yourself, well, wh why are we doing this? Why are we putting in this effort? And why are the boys, you know, why to win an Antrim Under 20 Championship, for example? Mm -hmm. you know? And it's for the reasons that I gave you. It's, uh, there's something fascinating about it that you can't really explain. You know, it's difficult enough to logically sit down and explain why something like that is so fascinating and why it excites us so much. And why it's and it's something about pitting yourself as a group against another group, you know. It's a bit like, it's a bit like the pacifist, who's secret, who's brought to the bullfight and secretly thrills mm. to the bullfighter slaying the bull. You know, there's something in us. You know, I mean, I I, I was appalled and sort of electrified by boxing over the years, you know, and I did some of Paul McCluskey's legals, you know, he was the European welterweight champion, fought Amir Khan and all of that. And one night he knocked out a guy called Giuseppe Lurie. He was defending his European title and he knocked him out in, uh, I think it was the King's Hall. And it was absolutely shocking. I thought he had killed him. Look it up. I think Sky gave it the knockout of the year. And Lurie lay like a tranquilized cow on his side on the canvas and I had like ringside seats because I was doing Paul's legals and stuff and there was a row of girls beside me and they were like just like and it you know you were overwhelmed with emotion and that's that's what sport does and I, I, I've never been to a fight since and I've started I started then writing against it because it's just cruel it's barbaric I mean it's it's, meant, it's, it's crazy stuff, really, that we allow this. And then this UFC stuff, it's even worse. You know, where we just, it's, it's legal, legal sort of barbarity, you know. I mean, you know, if you saw that in the street, somebody would be going to prison for five or six years. You know, I mean, I, so, and they do. Mm. I see it. You know, and yet that's where, that's where the mystery of sport is. You know, that, that's why we feel the hair stand in the back of her neck whenever Primal. the whenever the referee's about to throw the ball in on Derry or in Kerry Dublin in an All Ireland final. Yeah. You just can't help yourself. Yeah. And there's something about that that's different from the normal human experience that fascinates us, which is why still taking the under twenties is still probably the thing that yeah, you've no control over it. I, I bet you any money if somebody put a heart rate monitor on you and you looked at it afterwards, they'd say like, Jesus, <laughs> you weren't in good nick there for a while. You know? Last one, Joe. Um Derry for Sam or Brawley for president, which is more likely? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> I think, I think, I think we have, we've got a very good president, I have to say. Someone who you could be proud of. You know, um, a man who's interested in equality and, you know, very learned and somebody that you can genuinely feel proud of. Um, he's, you know, insofar as a president can make a major contribution because it's limited the role, obviously. He has hmm. made and is making a major contribution. Um, he's safe enough from me. Yeah, <laughs> I think I prefer Brody for president, to be honest. <laughs> Joe, thanks for talking to us. Pleasure. Enjoyed it. Right, man.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.